0: Welcome to this latest edition from the public law team in Herbert Smith Freehill's coronavirus series. My name is Anna Eliasson. I'm a senior associate in our London team and today I'm discussing with Andrew Lidbetter and Nusrat Saar, partners in the public law team, the reality of regulatory flexibility when it comes to compliance and enforcement in the COVID-19 pandemic. The context we're focusing on involves statements made by a range of regulators to the effect that they will be pragmatic in their approaches to compliance, particularly where they see prioritisation being given to customer and staff safety. We're going to discuss the nature of these statements, how they might be upgraded to obligations, when they can be frustrated, and finish with three key things businesses can do to preserve their positions. Andrew, for those navigating their way, both around the challenges brought by COVID-19 and their regulatory obligations, what kind of comfort can be taken from such statements?
1: Certainly the statements made by regulators, which we've seen, don't go so far as to let anyone off the hook with their regulatory obligations. They're more a message that there may be some latitude where strict compliance might work against consumers and staff. However, even there, an element of caution is needed because regulators shouldn't give leeway if such flexibility isn't permitted under the relevant legislation that gives them their powers. That said, where specific statements have been made and you fall within what they were contemplating, I think that does lead to some kind of expectation that the regulators will follow through consistently with what they've said. Fundamentally, it's going to depend on the circumstances and what's fair in that context.
0: In that regard, it's important, isn't it, to identify what it is that you're expecting? Mm.
1: That's right. Some statements are more about procedure. For example, a representation that the regulator will take the pandemic into account by setting longer times to comply with steps in enforcement investigations. Or that a regulator won't make changes without giving fair notice or consulting with industry. These kinds of statements don't purport to promise any particular outcome. They're more about the means to get to an outcome. Most statements that have been made by regulators are likely to fall into that category. However, some statements could be characterised as offering substantive benefits. In other words, outcome-focused statements. For example, Some regulators have said that non-compliance will be taken full account of in enforcement decision making, where that was to protect consumers from immediate harm. This could be taken to imply that no enforcement consequences would follow. Statements giving procedural expectations are likely to be easier to hold a regulator to, but that's not to say that substantive statements can't be made to stick.
0: Let's talk about how a statement can be upgraded to an obligation. It's well established that where a public authority makes a representation that gives rise to a legitimate expectation on the part of the recipient that it will be fulfilled, the courts won't let that be frustrated where it would be unfair for the public authority to resile from its word. Nisrat, what
2: key factors would you highlight? Well, first of all, a representational promise by a public body doesn't have to be expressed. It can be implied. So, for example, from past conduct or a practice that has otherwise been continuing. But either way, it's got to be clear and unequivocal. Secondly, the promise needs to have been made either to you or a group that you're part of. So in the COVID-19 context, the statements published by various regulators appear to apply generally to those they each regulate. But our experience is that regulated entities have their own relationships with their regulators. And as such, expectations might differ depending on any specific individual communications too. And I'll come back shortly to how the idea of equal treatment might apply. Thirdly, any expectation you have needs to be legitimate. So that means, for example, it shouldn't be qualified in any relevant way. So where some regulators have suggested that they wouldn't intend taking enforcement action against businesses who are engaging in conduct that might otherwise raise issues where this is to protect consumers, this is obviously a qualified representation. Businesses seeking to rely on this would therefore need to show that their conduct fell squarely within the aim of protecting consumers. And this could quite easily become complex, where action is taken for multiple purposes, and in particular where self-preservation is also an aim. Also, where there is a primary protection aim, that needs to be kept under review, since the situation with COVID-19 is far from static. Where someone is seeking some form of latitude from a regulator, legitimacy also usually requires that entity to have made full disclosure to the regulator first. However, with COVID-19, some regulators have either stated or implied that they expect businesses to get on with measures without the usual dialogue. Nevertheless, for any actions that could otherwise attract regulatory attention, it might be prudent to update the regulator in a timely way. You mentioned equal treatment.
0: Of course, the Supreme Court has recently reminded everyone that equal treatment
2: is not a standalone principle. So how does the idea fit in? So just because one entity has been treated by a regulator in one way doesn't mean that another entity can expect the same treatment. So the courts do look at inconsistent treatment to test whether that offends other public law principles, such as irrationality and procedural unfairness, consistency is not an absolute rule. However, where a regulator represents that it will apply a single set of legal and policy criteria to a group of parties falling within the same area of business activity, this can create a legitimate expectation of equal treatment as between those in that group. Moving to reliance,
0: it's established in public law terms that someone seeking to rely on a regulator's promise doesn't have to show that they acted to their detriment or changed their position in any way. But it's still relevant. Andrew, could you explain how?
1: Yes, it's often looked at by the courts when they consider how credible someone's case is, that the promise existed in the terms that they're claiming, and that they really believe the regulator would be bound by it. Also, where there is detriment, this goes to show how fair it is, or indeed isn't, to allow the regulator to go back on what they've said.
0: In terms of going back on promises, various tests have been applied by the courts, from irrationality to unfairness and also abuse of power, for example. How would you describe when the courts will let legitimate expectations be frustrated?
1: As you say, there are different ways of putting it and the court's approach tends to depend on what's at stake, whether for the entity at the end of a perceived broken promise, or the public authority in question. Overall, it often comes down to an assessment of the regulator's public interests against the individual interests of the entity looking to rely on what the regulator has promised. In the COVID-19 context, a court would be likely to consider what wider impact holding a regulator to a promise could have on industry conduct overall. But where a business has, in good faith, relied on regulatory latitude to take measures that demonstrably help consumers, a court is likely also to have some sympathy for that business. Each case would depend on its own facts, including why it was that the regulator was wanting to act in a particular way as against any given business. Courts are likely also to defer to a regulator's view of consumer protection
0: Thanks, Andrew and Nusrat. Let's wrap up with three key things businesses can do to help to preserve their positions. First, keep records of what you understand a regulator is permitting you to do. This includes notes of any conversations as well as published statements or written letters or emails. Where relevant statements are made in conversation, try to capture them in writing. Secondly, Consider what's appropriate in terms of disclosure to your regulator as regards what you are doing or proposing to do if compliance with usual rules or guidance might be an issue. Make sure you have a proper rationale for it that fits with what the regulator has indicated tolerance for and ensure that this is understood within your organisation. Thirdly, if you are affected by a frustrated promise Which you are concerned about, seek legal advice early at the time you consider that the promise has been broken. Claims to enforce legitimate expectations against regulators are often run as public law judicial review proceedings. The usual time limit for such proceedings is promptly and in any event within three months of the grounds arising, with the courts placing emphasis on acting promptly and it being unusual for the courts to extend this basic time limit. Thank you for listening. We hope this has been of interest. For more information, feel free to be in touch and keep an eye on our Public Law Notes blog and the firm's COVID-19 material. This was Anna Eliason talking with Andrew Lidbetter and Nisrat Tsar, who lead Herbert Smith Freehill's Public Law Practice in London.